Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ed Council. Now live at 6 o'clock, KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quack Mac. I like talking, talking sports. Quack Mac. What? Quack Mac. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of Quacksmack. Now let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. Tuesday, the 27th of February, 2024. Welcome inside the KWVA Studios for your Tuesday night edition of Quacksmack. Um, I was about to say... Unlike usual, this is not the last day of February, but um, there actually are always 28 days in, in the month of February um, and not 29. Yeah, I relearned what a leap year is pretty much every time we have one, but I think you got it right. I think every every right four now. years or so, you, you approximately. There's something in there. Right. Um, welcome inside the KWVA studios. My name is Austin Oda, joined alongside Charles Martindale, Mario Ponce. Uh, gentlemen, how are we doing? How's uh, week eight treating us? Uh, we're, we're okay, I guess. We're like, getting through we're, it. We're alive. That's all we can hope for. I like the KWVA drip. Um, I respect the commitment to uh, to the the frequency that you wear KWVA drip. Um, it's a good look. Yeah, I like the drip too, and I also like the perspective. It is good to to remember that we're all alive, and that's very nice. Beautiful. Feels good to be alive on I a mean, Tuesday. It's not like I am in panic mode, but week seven and week eight have definitely hit h- quite hard. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they have. Um, and I think week nine is going to find a way to hit harder. And then week 10 is going to, you know, we'll see. We'll see what, what next term looks like. I'm, um, I'm here. I'm alive. That's a good thing. Thanks for reminding me, Mario. Um, should we just get right into it? We have a lot to talk about today. We have, uh, we have Oregon softball. We're going to talk to my good friend and broadcast partner Carson Mercier um he works at UCS or KCSB the student radio station over at UCSB um and he is officially a future duck he signed wow. signed his lease big. i believe today very big um so future duck carson uh He's we got a light uh, show going on here um i don't really know what these are but i'm like kind of here for it i'm glad i'm i don't have like epilepsy or think it, it would be a little little more difficult a nice mood lighting for our tuesday night cucks i think it would be nice if it was just a mood lighting but it's like it's rave lighting right it's it, we're i i feel like i'm at at kai side right now yeah, like something people, like that. We, we know what it's like there uh and then we're gonna talk some Oregon baseball um we're we're talking to Carson about the the Gauchos who had a tough loss today, uh, and then we're going to talk to um, us. We're going to talk with ourselves about Oregon baseball, and then we're going to finish it up talking about some Oregon women's and men's basketball before sending it away. But let's start with Oregon softball. <coughs> Ooh, uh, a difficult start to the season for Oregon, and I think that we have we're, we're we're kind of lucky to be able to say that it's a difficult start for Oregon. Y- you don't often, you know go through your first 16 games of the season, two games over 500 and think, man, like we, we really should have been, been better here. Um, but a nine and seven start overall isn't bad, but 
I, I kind of think of it like what Kelly Graves said, um, Oregon women's basketball head coach said after the loss, I believe, to UCLA last weekend where he was like, there's a reason that this year is such an outlier because we've set the standard here. And I think that's the same for Oregon softball. It's uh, it's not it's not the best year so far, but they lost a lot of talent. It's a, still a really talented program. Um, so through sixteen games, nine and seven, I want each of you to say your biggest surprise and biggest disappointment of the year. Uh, you can do one and one. We can, you know, just have fun with it. Do whatever you want. I think for me, uh, one thing that has been pleasantly surprising is that you know the team is still pretty good with scoring even like it when they lose there's only three games this season where they have not scored at least one run and I definitely feel like that's a positive because even if sometimes you give up a lot of runs if you can get on base and score then you know there are some games that you will win some games that you will lose so definitely nice to see that the team is scoring with consistency I think for me the biggest disappointment has been pitching so far like you know, I've seen some things that have been good. Some others, I wish they would have been better. But overall, it's been, you know, an okay start. Maybe not the greatest possible, but certainly it could be a lot worse. Yeah, you know, I agree that it's good to get on the board like Oregon's done. However, there's still been seven times this season where they've been held under three runs. That's not usually something you like to see. And, you know, you mentioned the pitching maybe being spotty here and there. I think overall the pitching has been pretty solid. You know, Morgan Scott's got a 2.52 ERA. Taylor Spencer's has her ERA under 1.4. So there's enough talent in pitching, as we know, to, to help this team win more games. The record for the team right now when they're scoring over three runs is 8-1. and one. So I really think the offense kind of has to shoulder a lot of blame for maybe falling out of the top 25 like they have recently. I just think when your bottom of the order keeps putting up zeros like they have, it can be tough to stay in these games. And that's why we've seen Oregon maybe lose or have a few more of these close games slip away from them. Did you say your your biggest surprise? Yeah, so hmm, it's it's a little tough. I would say the surprise is probably just being out of the top 25 overall. You know, they'd kind of been climbing in the preseason rankings each of the last few years, and I think it was the highest this year they'd been ranked at the outset of the season in a minute. So for them in just three st short weeks to be out of the top 25, it's pretty surprising. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I I think generally the the bats have been good and the pitching has been good. It's just kind of for me the and this is the most disappointing thing is the the clutch play like we're not we're not seeing it on the same level i think that's something that melissa lombardi does a really good job preparing her teams for is that that clutch element that kind of um you you can't really quantify how well a player plays in the clutch or, or how well a player does in the clutch but oregon has struggled uh, you just look at, at purely their runners and scoring position stats in their losses loss against indiana uh 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position the loss against Clemson, 1 for 6 runners in scoring position. The loss against Texas A&M, 1 for 11. 0 for 8 against LMU. 0 for 11 against Texas A&M. 1 for 5 against Baylor. 1 for 7 against Nebraska. Those are your seven losses. Um, shout out John Evans for those stats, by the way. But you're not going to win games if you're 0 for 8, 0 for 9, 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position in games unless your pitching is elite, which Oregon's pitching is elite. It's a really good pitching staff. They have two elite arms in the circle Stevie Hansen and Morgan Scott can go one and two against anyone in the nation. Taylor Spencer's been great as a freshman. Lisa Kolsky's been really good um, in her, her limited appearances. But you still can't expect to, to put up twos and threes on the board every game and, and expect your pitching staff to do 
good enough um, to, to push them through in that aspect. So that's been my my biggest concern with Oregon this year has been the lack of clutch play. And then for me, the, the surprise has been the one person. It's been Taylor Spencer. Three and one. Doesn't strike anyone out, but also doesn't really walk anyone. Eight strikeouts in 30 innings is, is almost comically low. Like we, low. we really have not seen an Oregon pitcher that has been that committed to just my stuff is going to play better than yours. If you hit it, you're going to hit it soft. Um, but you love to see it. You know, she she has given up seven extra base hits this year, which isn't great, but it's also not like, like she's she's been really good and she's preventing runs, and that's really all you can ask for at the end of the day. Um, we we talked a little bit about the pitching. Is there anyone? I I did have it as a question, like who are the biggest names to keep? Oh wait, no, that's baseball. My bad. Um, the offense, it struggled, like I mentioned, against the the really big the the top pitching staffs. Um. What's going on? Like, what what is what's what's wrong with Oregon offensively right now? Like we said, that you know they're scoring runs, but they're not scoring enough to to really win them softball games. Well, I think you said it yourself. Oregon has not played well, you know, in the clutch. They've not played well with lots of runners in scoring position, and you know it's tough uh, for the for the Mary Nutter uh, Classic. Last time I was here, I had said that I really wanted Oregon to do well against Nebraska to kind of show the Big Ten what we're going to bring. You know, that game obviously didn't end the way I would have expected Oregon to. But I think what Oregon needs to do now is just manufacture more runs. Don't worry so much about hitting home runs or, like, having these really fancy, crazy stats. Just get it back to the basics. Just swing, get on base, and start doing that consistently. Because those runs are going to, like, if if four batters uh, g- g- hit a single in a row, that's going to be at least one run. So if you, if Oregon can do that and the runs uh, start to be a little bit more sort of, like, basically manufactured, they'll probably do better offensively. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, really, for me, it was nice that you mentioned the clutch factor, Austin, because in that game against Baylor, Oregon did have the tying run. It's not 90 feet away, but on third, down to their final out, chance to tie that game, maybe make it a little bit more of a positive weekend coming away from things. But I just think the bottom of this order has not really shown up as consistently as you need them to. You know, Friday was kind of a glimpse at the Oregon team. We expected to see a little bit more all season long. But, you know, like you said, against some quote-unquote lower quality pitching, it's kind of what you want to see. You need to see everybody in the lineup producing. You know, Oregon entered this weekend ranked, and Nebraska, you know, still outside of the top 25, that game kind of looked like a mismatch. Oregon left 10 batters on base, which is, you know, kind of staggering. Like you said, a bit of a concern. It's just going to come down to not just getting more hits, but having them come when your runners are on base in those, you know, runner and scoring position situations because that's how you actually put runs on the board. Yeah, I, I've i been kind of underwhelmed with Oregon's offense as a whole this year. Um, Kyle Lushar, the batting average is great, but she still doesn't have an extra base hit this year, which she's not an extra base hit hitter, but you still want to see that. Um and the OBP, while well, well, it's high, in relation to her, her her batting average, there really isn't, you know, a ton there. She's not walking at a crazy rate. Um, Ariel Carlson had this elite week one to start the year and has been good, not great since then. Hannah Delgado, um, I think, is, is one of the better players in terms of just, like, veteran leadership on this team. And Alyssa Daniel's been great. But Paige Sinicki has really not really found that magic that she had as a sophomore where she, or as a freshman where she was an over – uh, an almost 800 OPS player um, back her freshman season. The, the average is high, but again, 
not a lot of extra base hit power like we saw from her as a freshman. Taya Bird, KK Humphreys have really taken a step down on the offensive end, and then Emma Kalf has not been great this year. Um, just overall, 510 OPS has a double, but that's her only extra base hit. She's only walked six times this year. Um, and the strikeout numbers for Oregon as a team are, are pretty high. Um, you, you look up and down the roster, Taya Bird is the only one in double digits, but everyone is around, you know, five to seven pretty much throughout the lineup. Kitty Flannery and her only appearances have come off the bench. She's, or excuse me, she has 12 at bats, has struck out in seven of them. So, you know, that, that's, that's pretty telling right there. Um, and again, we, we talked about the clutch and that's, that's really hurt Oregon. Going into this weekend, we just found out earlier today that it looks like the Florida State games have been canceled. They decided to not travel due to inclement weather. Um, still facing UW. It's a very different UW team this year than it, than it has been in the past. You're not seeing Bailey Klingler. You're not seeing Gabby play in. You're, you're not seeing some of these players that have become real staples for UW, but it's still a top 10 University of Washington team. What does Oregon have to do to, to face up against the Huskies and, and do well this weekend? Well, just briefly mentioning Florida State, I'm a little disappointed because I have a cousin who is in Tallahassee in the in that university right now, and I wanted to kind of mess around with him a little bit. So it's it's unfortunate that they won't play, but I definitely feel like this is a good opportunity for the Ducks to really focus on making things work. Like we've been saying for this episode, they need to manufacture more runs, get the bottom of the lineup more involved and especially against a big rival who is coming with us to the new conference this is certainly what i would like to see oregon do yeah i think washington's more of a pitching heavy team obviously with so many concerns with the lineup so far this season you know they only averaged two runs per game in the campbell cartier classic bumped that up to five runs per game in this last one not really the response not really a dramatic response especially with the number of losses they had this last weekend but you know this weekend facing a team in Washington that has so much talent on pitching, it's really going to start to get to be make or break time for some of these players before we start seeing maybe some experimentation in the lineup, a different thing here and there as they just try and scrape some runs together. It's going to be a big challenge to do that against Washington. Yeah, Washington, uh, gone is Gabby playing in his Ruby Malin. She was just a freshman last year, but she was terrific, and she's continued that this season. She's 5-1 and one on her season, 49 strikeouts and 37 innings. She is a little wild. She, she gets a little inconsistent. The hit-by-pitches are high. The walks are pretty high. Um, but the, the strikeout stuff is there. She's a fireballer. She's been great. Brooke Nelson, her limited appearances, has been great. Lindsay Lopez is very talented. The offense, though, is not the same as we've seen from UW. And uh, what Ryan Milano and I were both really shocked about when we went to Seattle last year is even though they play right on the water, like they it's it's one of the – it might be my favorite of the, the Pac-12 softball stadiums outside of the Jane. Um the ball soars there. It's right next to the water, but the ball just soars. Um, and so you expect with a team like Washington, and it happened last year with Bailey Klingler and co., like that team is going to mash. They have not been the greatest extra base hitting team this year. It's an 873 OPS as a team, which obviously looks great, but it's not the same big power numbers that we're used to seeing. Um, Klingler was a 20-plus home run bat. You, you have other players up and down the lineup. Silent Rain Espinosa, not, not much of a power hitter, but someone who um, consistently got on base and got extra base hits. This year, they're more reliant on Riley Holtzorff, Lana Johnson. Um, Brooklyn Carter's been really good. Someone like Brooke Nelson, a two-way, like I mentioned in the circle. Um, but it's not the same real dominant offensive team in UW, and I think that that 
that really helps Oregon uh, going up this weekend. Um, and Oregon will also play Mount St. Mary's. The uh, what are they? They're the mascot. They're, yeah, they have a mm. weird mascot, right? I can look. Can I can we, double check. Can, can we get some guesses on the uh, the Mount St. Mary's mascot? Wait, 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 no one look it up. No one look it up. <laughs> Mario, do you have it? In there somewhere. No, I, I don't have it. I think I would guess that it would be some sort of animal. I wouldn't be able to say which animal, but my guess is it's an animal. I'll okay, say religious figure. It is the the Mounties. Hmm. Oh, okay. Which kind of makes sense. Not as exciting as I was hoping for. Um. The the name of the the mascot is Emmett S. Berg. Perfect. I yeah, wonder. Fitting, I guess. Well, well, now I want to know about Emmett S. Berg. Oh, well, they live. They they're from Emmitsburg, Maryland. Right. So, uh, shout out. For sure. What y'all got on the uh, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference? Mm. Yeah, not quite a powerhouse as Re- far as return of the Mac. For real, yeah. I think that's a that's definitely a conference that needs to find some kind of flagship obscure sport right. to build everything around. Yeah, can make things more interesting. I think Quinnipiac is in the MAC, which uh, housed Kevin Sider for the last four years. Yeah, good to know. Which is a pretty solid segue into our next section. Yeah, I got there eventually. Yeah, it took me a minute. Um, but we're gonna step aside. Uh, we're gonna have the boys over in Prod call my good friend Carson. We're gonna talk some Oregon baseball on the other side of this break. You're listening to Quacksmack. KWVA. You're listening to a live broadcast on KWVA 88.1 FM. Lucky you. Licking your chops for more? Head to our website at kwva.uoregon.edu slash category slash sports to listen to a live broadcast, peruse past episodes of our nightly talk show, Quacksmack, or travel our archive of all things Duck Athletics. Once again, that's kwva.uoregon.edu slash category slash sports. Dang, it's been a good game, hasn't it? If you want to relive some of the best moments from a broadcast, like that last home run. Line drive, deep left field, and out of here! Valerie Wong with one swing of the bat ties this game at four apiece. Or the game-winning touchdown. He's looking for Troy Franklin. He catches it at the goal line in the end zone. Touchdown, Oregon! Check out our Twitter or Instagram at KWVA Sports. For over 50 years, Help Heal Veterans has utilized recycled materials to create, manufacture, and distribute art therapy kits that help vets deal with pain management, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and many other challenges. Our kits help veterans find sustainable wellness in their lives. We are proud to help those who served our country. Our mission is to help our veterans. To learn more, go to HealVets.org. That's HealVets.org. Sponsored by Help Heal Veterans. This is former assistant sports director Adam Sussman. If your dial reads 88.1, you're in the right place. Let's get back to Quacksmack. Back on your Tuesday night edition of Quacksmack, Austinota, Charles Martindale, Mario Ponce. And now we have Crawdad legend, Gaucho legend, Vaquero legend, Carson Mercier. Welcome to the show, buddy. Hey Austin, how you doing? Thanks, thanks for having me on tonight. Anything, anything for you, Carson? How are you? Pretty good, you know. Just uh, you know, SBCC golf legend, right. always on my grind. Just just got off practice and 
now we're here about ready to talk some baseball so pretty good well can you can you tell us about the golf season so far i heard you had an, an okay day the other day it it's been so up and down literally so up and down um it's crazy how uh, how hard golf is mentally because yesterday i was two over through like 14 holes and played my last four six over um but overall i've been playing well so it's all smiles here on the golf front and that's that's all that really matters and and you know we're, we're going to be golfing it up here next year uh me and you, me you and saul with uh you the future duck legend not there yet but you're you're getting there um yeah excited, uh, excited upcoming you. for sure right um should we get right into it should we should we start talking some some gaucho baseball yeah, let's do it. So, some some weird stuff for this for the season for the Gauchos, which I feel like we need to kind of address first. Um, they don't have a home, which is is unusual. Uh, naturally, in, in in college athletics, you expect teams, you know, UC Santa Barbara, you expect them to be playing at Santa Barbara, but it's pretty clearly affected them to the start of the season. This is a team that was ranked coming into the year, but has some some pretty tough losses to this point in the year, and for the second straight year has had to move this series from Santa Barbara to Eugene. So I, this is kind of open-ended, but how do you feel like that that lack of a, a home stadium has affected the Gauchos so far this year? Well, yeah, this is something that goes back not just, you know, because of the rain the past couple weeks, which last year was the case. It only got The, the series only got moved because of the crazy rain that Santa Barbara was getting, which is crazy. Don't think you'd ever say that oh we're moving a baseball series to eugene oregon from santa barbara because it's raining too much in santa barbara nonetheless i mean this has been an ongoing thing they were trying to put turf in at caesar usaka stadium back in november they got started with it and then the city declined it and then it kind of they were trying to scramble to put grass in and it started raining and it's just been a whole thing since november where yeah, the Gauchos haven't had a place to play or practice. The only facilities they've had are, are batting cages, so they've been all over the place. I know that they have been at my old high school, Dos Pueblos High School, um, a high school in Montecito. They've traveled as far as Fresno and Lake Elsinore uh, to play where the Lake Elsinore Storm play, uh, which is a single-A affiliate for the San Diego Padres. They, I mean, they've been all over the place. It's It's been really hard to cover them, almost impossible to, to cover them. Um, at least from from our perspective, I, and I haven't gotten the chance to talk to any of the players about this, but I mean, I I, I did talk to one of their guys, and they said that I mean, I, I, he said he was falling asleep at eleven o'clock at night, didn't know where their practice was at noon the next day. Like it's 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 been pretty, it's been a rough go so far, and I mean, yeah, the, the they haven't had the easiest schedule. I mean, Campbell's a pretty good team. That's a pretty tough start to the season, and. I mean that's a tough series loss too, but yeah, it's been it's been a little bit of a roller coaster thus far, especially on that field front. Yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about the schedule so far because I think Campbell, you know, you lose that series in the first weekend of the year and and it's not feeling great on paper, but then I think as we've all realized, Campbell, I, I, one of the nine Carolinas, I think in the top twenty five, so Campbell's a really good school, and then losing to Sac State. That was another weird one in game one where they don't they, they think they're playing uh, in Santa Barbara until late that week, move up to Sac State, end up losing game one, but then dominating game two and game three. And then the loss to Pepperdine today, which I want to get into in a second, so don't talk too much about that one. But uh, what what was the, the, the vibe of the, the team through the first two weekends of the season, the Campbell and the Sac State series? What What went wrong? What went right? What are the positives? What are the negatives that you took from that? I just the Campbell series. I mean, they're a good team, and you're going to lose the first series of a year to a good like that happens. You know, scoring 20 runs in the opener 
I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good start right there. Then losing the next uh, by one run. I mean, all the games except for the first were close and competitive, and I think that that is uh, a good sign. And um, there weren't very many blowups. It was, they got beat, and I think that that happens. As for the Sacramento State series, they were actually supposed to play in Fresno, and the night before the game, or maybe uh, maybe like 35 hours before the game, it the the I forget the field, so forgive me for this, but they they declined their invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, they originally said yes, you can play here. Then 35 hours uh, before the game, they said no, you can't. So it got moved to Sacramento State. So little unfortunate there. Had to move all over the place. Um, I, I'd say they took care of business against Sacramento State. They lost that first game with an uncharacteristically bad start uh, from Matt Ager, who is one of – I mean, he's the Friday night guy. He's a, he's a dog. Uh, only went four innings, gave up five hits, three runs, kind of got hit around a little bit. So I don't know. Tough. It's just tough, like moving around, bouncing around like they have. Um and to drop one game in that series with a fluky bad start from your best starter, I don't think that you hate where you're at necessarily right now. Matt Ager, uh, I believe Pleasanton legend, correct? Yes, Pleasanton legend. Same high school as Trotad legend Jackson Flora, which I, I I feel like we have to talk about. I mean, we have the two you know greatest Trotads of all time, you and I, on this show. Um, and it was it was a tough day for our boys today, you know. We but they've been really good at the back end of the bullpen. I do feel like we should shout them out uh, specifically. Like the the two of them have been really good. We're talking about Ryan Troy. We're talking about Jackson Flora, who combined have gone to throw seven innings. They have thirteen strikeouts and just five walks between the two of them. Um, you know they've been really good. A, a little bit of a blow up today. What did you see in the game today? And then what have you seen from the two of them? I feel like again we got We got to shout out our boys. Um, what have you seen from the two of them this year? Yeah, the the two of them, they've been fantastic. Forget about today. It, you know, it, it's hard to, to wash it, but you just got to forget about it because it's so tough. I mean, they were winning 9-5 going into, I think, the next inning and gave yep. up 9-4 going into the ninth, gave up six in the in the bottom of the ninth to lose to Pepperdine. Um, I mean, that doesn't happen often with, you know, a, a, a ranked team like UCSB, but it happened today, and uh, just a little bit tough. Uh, they had Brosky out there trying to close it out for the ninth. He couldn't get it done. Flora came in. Um, he couldn't get it done. Had to face seven batters. And then Troy obviously couldn't get it done either. Did have a strikeout, but walked in the the winning run, which is unfortunate because Ryan's been really, really good. Austin, you know this. He has all the talent in the world, right? That low to mid-90s fastball, the wipeout slider. It's just if he can command it. This year, for the most part, the walks haven't really killed him. I think he's thrown now three innings. Does have three walks, but a good amount of strikeouts. He's he's being competitive in the zone. Um, and then as for Jackson Flora, I love this kid. I mean, we were told the scouting report over the summer was 94 on the corners. And I, he's been 97 on the corners to start Hello. this year. Yeah, um, so a little bit of a jump there. Uh, he's, he's bulked up a little bit from the last time that uh, I saw him in the summer. I actually saw him at uh, Freebirds in Isla Vista a couple weeks ago and was surprised at how big he he was. He put on some muscle, and um, yeah, I mean, he's going to be really, really good, and you just got to find a way to, to scratch today because it it was a, just a bad loss. I mean, we know, we know how good both of them are going to be, specifically Jackson Flora. Like, we saw... 
um, the scouts, the the multiple scouts out there, uh, including some some ducks, some 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 cow bears. Like there were there were a lot of people out there. Um, but yeah, they're they're both going to be great. I I want to talk a little bit more about the gaucho pitching because I I feel like that's kind of been the story of the gauchos for the last few years, and and how they've started to dominate the the conference is is their pitching. Matt Ager, you talked about him. I want to hear a little bit more about him. But what can we expect from the rest of the starting rotation for the Gauchos? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really solid. Uh, obviously, Matt Ager, we've talked about. Another guy that I really like, the redshirt sophomore, Ryan Gallagher. Well, I work at a golf course, and he's a huge golf guy. I see him and uh, Aaron Parker, a catcher out there all the time. So just a little little funny there, but... Yeah, Ryan Gallagher is, is really, really awesome. And his one start this year against Sac State, five innings, seven Ks, a walk. Um, and then their their Sunday guy, Mike Gutierrez, is also really, really good. Mike is a lefty. Um, I don't have his numbers up in front of me right now. But, uh, yeah, the left-hander, not going to blow you away with the fastball, 85 to 88. But throw strikes. And then, and that's just what you need to do in, in college baseball in the Big West. If you throw strikes and you have a good slider – like Mike Gutierrez does, it, it, it bodes well. So that, that wrote, that rotation of three guys is, is up there for best in the big West, if not the best for sure. And it feels like there's, there's some guys specifically on the pitching side. I think Hudson Barrett's the guy that comes to mind that has all the stuff to compete. We saw it last year. He was dominant and it just hasn't been there. Um, who are, who are some of the other names in the bullpen or, or the bats that you feel like could really have a breakout series this week against the ducks? So one guy I'm kind of keeping my eyes on is Aaron Parker, who I did mention. He's a little bit banged up right now. Um, had a, a knee injury, but I was told today, because I was asking about him, uh, that he's he's close to coming back. So I'm, I'm hopeful that you guys will get to see him in Eugene because he's a little short, bigger guy that just flat out rakes. So if he's able to get onto the field um, and, and healthy – Watch out for him. And another guy that that I think could have a really, really big series who Austin, you know, Ivan Bradauer, what, oh, yeah. eight home oh, runs yeah. in 13, 13 yeah. games over the summer, something ridiculous no, like I think that. There was, I think there was it. a point where it was like seven home runs in like 23 at-bats or something crazy like that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's unheard of. Right. It really is. And, um, and for kind of my final bat I would say not even final bat but another guy to really really watch out for is Justin Trimble actually played when I played baseball back in high school we played him and I think he hit two home runs in the game one off of uh um Ryan Spacek who Austin you know I talk about him all the time but a little bit anyway not yeah yeah Justin Trimble he's got two home runs already this year he won big west offensive player of the week for this week so uh he's got a sweet lefty swing and with some pop. So, uh, yeah, those are kind of my bats that, that I would look out for. The, I, I really liked all three of them because they supply some power in this Gaucho lineup, which I think is a little bit lacking of power without them. For the rest of the year for the Gauchos, what are you looking for? What What do you think is is kind of the ceiling for this team? I mean, it's it's interesting because they have such good pitching, It's but it hasn't been great to start. So if they're able to get that going and just – I think all they got to do is score five runs a game and they're going to be hard to beat. And I think this is going to be a really fun series coming up against Oregon. Oregon has looked really good to start this year. Um, haven't paid attention too closely to them, but I've seen some highlights and it's been, been a lot of fun. 
Um, and then, I mean, the Big West is always good. So they just it's, – it's almost a transition period for the Gauchos. They're moving off of guys like uh, Nick Vogt, uh, Jared Sundstrom, Jordan Sprinkle, who got drafted a couple of years ago. But all these guys are starting to phase out. It seems like a new era of Gaucho baseball, more co- more contact-oriented. I think this, this team is going to get a lot of base hits, not strike out a lot, steal a ton of bags. I think that's going to be the identity of this team going forward. And I think if they're able to score five runs a game, they're going to be dominant pitching once it starts to, you know, I think water always finds its level, right? So these guys that are super talented, super good, are are going to start figuring it out um, shortly. And when they do, it it's going to be wraps. Carson, thanks for hopping on Quacksmack. If we want to find more of your work, plug your Twitter, your whatever social media you want to plug, uh, and then tell us about your, your broadcasting for the rest of the year. Where can we do all of that? Yeah, so if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just my name, Carson.Mercier. That's M-E-R-C-I-E-R, uh, Mercier underscore Carson on Twitter or X. And then, yeah, I'm at KCSB Sports here for UC Santa Barbara, the student radio uh, station for the Gauchos. And, yeah, you find us on Mixer. We post um, on our Instagram story at KCSB Sports on Instagram. And big game coming up on Thursday, UCSB versus Cal Poly Blue-Green rivalry game. Should be a lot of fun. It's the men's, or the men's basketball team in the Dome. So tune in. It should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Carson. Hopefully this is uh, your last Quack Smack until you are in the studio. Um, I can't wait to, <laughs> to right, see Austin. you back in Stu. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Have a good night. All right, that was Carson Mercier, KCSB Sports, future Duck legend. We're going to step aside when we come back. We'll talk Oregon baseball. Uh, we're going to break down the first couple weekends for the Ducks. Don't want to miss it. Be right back. KWVA. KWVA. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you prevent wildfires. Dude, I've got this. I've been camping since I was five years old. But I am a camping influencer. You know what? I'll bet you five bucks. Assistant Smokey, what is the best way to put out a campfire? To put out a campfire, drown with water, stir, drown again. Then make sure the fire is out cold by feeling with the back of your hand. Wait, really? I'll take the five bucks. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Are you driving home from work, sitting in traffic? Yeah. 
That sucks. Good news for you. Quack Smack is back right here on KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM. Back on your Tuesday night Quack Smack here on 88.1. We just talked some Oregon softball. We talked some Oregon, no, we talked some Gaucho baseball because they're playing the Ducks this weekend. I realize now that I didn't really intro that at all. I was just kind of like, hey, here's this guy that's going to talk about a team that you know nothing about. Um, but he did, and he did it well. They, so like, they know a lot now. Right. Now, I, I mean, they know more about uh, UC Santa Barbara baseball than, than Oregon because we haven't talked about it. But I think we should. Sounds good. Sounds good. Cool. Shall we? Um, yes, sir. Oregon. Good. First two weeks. Quality. Vibe check. Go. I'm very happy with what I've seen. I was I was in the stadium covering for the station the first game against Lafayette, and I was just very happy to see. You know, it seemed like the team was playing well. They were all connecting super well. And there were a lot of firsts. You know, a lot of firsts have been happening. This, since this team has a lot of new guys, a lot of them are getting like their first home runs or their first hits or their first this and that. And it's just so great to see this team continue to do well, even if there has been so much change from last season. Yeah, I think you said it pretty much perfectly. The vibes are really high for Oregon baseball right now. For me, that's mostly due in part to the first weekend. Of course, those two pretty electric wins against Oklahoma and Baylor. They dropped the last game of that series, 11-7, to still a really good offensive game. And then we knew when s- with Lafayette coming into town, they still didn't have a win yet on the season. Kind of felt like Oregon was matching up against uh, basically a community college team. And really, they did Oof. everything they needed to do. 17 runs the first game. They win by nine in the second game. A modest 7-4 to win in game number three. Then they beat them by 10 again. Really, I mean, not much more you can say than that. The offense was firing in all cylinders all year or all s- weekend long. And then for the pitching, I think it was 56 strikeouts to 13 earned runs. So both sides of the ball, Oregon baseball, really dominant this last weekend. Yeah, I'm feeling good about the Ducks. Uh, there was a lot that I liked and not much I didn't like, which I think is a overall a, a good a good yeah, vibe sounds check. Sounds about right. Like, they, were, they had a really fun weekend. Um, I think the, the energy is high in PK Park. It's about the highest that I've seen for an opening weekend since I've been here. Um, I remember the first home opening weekend – was against at least when I was here was against St. John's and it was the year after Oregon had made it to the re- had hosted a regional um where they ended up losing to LSU but the thing about that year was that Oregon had lost a ton of talent in the offseason um that was the year they lost Brett Walker and Colin Kafka and Robbie Alstrom um and I believe Kenyon Yovan and, and Gabe Matthews as well so that's like five elite elite players on that team there wasn't a lot of overlap from the that year from 2021 and 2022. So, you know, going into a series against St. John's, it was almost excusable for that team to to not be drawing much many fans. Um, and then last year, after a disappointing end of the season in 22, it just it was kind of that same story. Not a ton of familiar faces. The pitching after losing Isaac Aon and R.J. Gordon was was in question. Um, you know, you they, they threw out. I don't even think it was Jay- – I think they threw out Logan Mercado in game one at home last season. Crazy. Um, and now he's coming out of the bullpen in like yeah, a seventh, eighth inning role. start this year, yeah. Right, and he's been great, but, you know, the point still stands. Like, he, he's fit better in the bullpen. There there wasn't really a name for Oregon fans to attach on. Um, 
And so because of that, I was kind of surprised going into this year when, you know, you lose Riku Nishida, you lose Sabine Ceballos, you lose all of these players, you're, you're Jay Stoffel, they're, they're all these guys. Tanner Smith, maybe Oregon's all-time greatest player. Like, you're losing all of these guys, and still the crowd was full on Sunday in Game 4 of a, uh, of a four-game series against legitimately a, a bottom, like, 30 team in the nation. Yeah, like, straight it's out a of the really Patriot bad League. team. What you know about the Patriot League? Just just what I know about the Lafayette Leopards, so nothing super positive just yet. I know one singular player in the Patriot yeah. League outside of Lafayette. Who's um, that? My, my good friend Ryan Delaney, Crawdad's legend. Shout out. Um, but, yeah, they they weren't great. Lafayette was not great. No. And, uh, I mean, I think that's kind of what we expected. You just had to check their scores in their previous series, their first of the year, and it was pretty similar, allowing 10 runs or more here and there. They're just a team that basically has, has let their opponents get into the teens pretty regularly. Really not a ton you can learn from Oregon after a weekend like this, except that, yep, all the parts that were still firing on the road against tough competition in Texas are going to do even better at home against a team with a lot less talent. So I think we'll learn more and more about Oregon as the season goes on, you know, to state the obvious. But this weekend, hard to be mad. I will say I was I was pretty impressed by Lafayette's pitching, and I, I realized how stupid that sounds when Oregon scored, what, 61 runs or something mm-hmm. like that over the four-game stretch. They held them to seven once. But it was like, more than that, it was just like, I think that they had six or seven really solid guys that should have only gone an inning. And they just stretched them out a little, a little too much, for, a little too far to what they I think were were ready to do. But you know, they, the the guy that came in first out of the bullpen on Sunday for Lafayette was was okay. Like he had a good, a really good feel for his slider. He could backdoor, front door it. Like he 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 was good. Um, they brought out a guy in the seventh inning. I, I said at one point it felt like, um, you know how like when you're playing 2K and mm-hmm. you create a random player, it comes with like <laughs> yeah. an auto-generated name, right? Like, it felt like one of those guys. Just no name on the back of the jersey. Right. Oh. Um, but he was good. Like, he came out, like, throwing 94 and throwing strikes. Um, so, Lafayette, you know. Just, just found themselves in kind of a mismatch. I feel absolutely. Like you could say. Yeah. I mean, and you think about it, the, the same St. John's team that Oregon beat badly two years ago you know, you, you kind of could see the potential there. They just beat Florida to open this season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, weird things happen. Baseball's going to baseball. Um, but, yeah, feeling good about Oregon. Uh, and I think the, the main part of that is the pitching. The pitching has been awesome to start this year. You know, it, it's hard to put a lot of stock into games against Lafayette, but I also think that there's a lot of things that you can take, like strike throwing and mm-hmm. um, soft contact. And, you know, those are all things that play. So who are the names look going forward into the year? Uh, that you think will will help keep up this this historically good start to Oregon's pitching staff. I think, I think that pretty much all of the all of the all of the ge- all of the players that played this weekend are definitely gonna be super solid. I can't remember exactly who it was, but I think on Sunday the pitcher that threw eleven strikes is definitely one that we should keep an eye on. One thing that I found kind of funny about the games, I wh- I was there on Friday, which was the home opener. And as I got there, there was this huge line for, like, special uh, Pac-12 champion shirts. Mm-hmm. And, like, right as I arrived and I saw what was happening, they were like, oh, we ran out of shirts. And I was Dang. like, oh, wow, that's so sad because the line was so long. I think that pitching is definitely going to be super important coming forward, but also hitting. Like, even if it was a relatively not-so-good opponent, you know, we still did pretty good on the on the, on the the map on the mound and also hitting so i definitely feel like this is positive for the team going forward 
Yeah, the pitchers to me that stood out, the obvious one, obviously, R.J. Gordon. He's had the fri- the ball on Friday each of the last two series. Even though he missed all of last season, he's looked really good in both of these starts. He's one of the two pitchers to be at 10 or more innings, so we've seen the most of him. And he's got, you know, seven strikeouts in that time. He's looked really good in both starts. You know, that's when he really set the tone for the series, and he's done a solid job of that for Oregon. Grayson Grinsell faced 16 batters and struck out 11 of them in his last outing. He was a guy that I had a lot of, you know, personal attachment to after how he pitched last season. So I think really encouraging to see him pitch well. And like you said, just throwing strikes. You know, this was a lineup that didn't have a ton of imposing figures in it. They kind of knew they could just, if if the ball stayed in the strike zone throughout the game, they could kind of have their way with Lafayette. And they were able to stick to that, and that's exactly what happened. Toby Twist picked up a lot of strikeouts this weekend as well. So I think Oregon finds himself in kind of a really good place where they just have a ton of different arms. They're so far getting different looks at each of them and uh, some pretty solid results so far. I think there's value in that too, like just finding a team where you can throw strikes again uh, against and, and early gain in the confidence. year too. It's a right, good like that's point. that's a good thing. Um, Grayson Grinsell is great. Toby Twist, I really like. I think if uh, if Twist and Gordon can kind of piggyback on each other and give you six or seven good innings on a on a Sunday, I think is their best role. I think kind of the perfect rotation is Cider Fridays because he can give you that length, get you know shorten the game a little bit, and then Grinsell on Saturdays where you know he's only going to go three or four innings, but he's going to He's right. going to dominate. And then Twist and Gordon together on Sundays. I think that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and still a lot of guys out of the pen that, you know, we saw getting a ton of starts last season, whether it's Spoljeric or Mercado, who we mentioned earlier. There's just, you know, a lot of different places they can find their innings. Yes. Yeah. Pen. It, it's been nice. The bullpen's been really good. Um, Brock Moore came out throwing 101 the other day, which was yeah, really was fun to see. To see. Um, but then you have a guy like Jackson Jordan, who's a Juco transfer, who's got really good stuff. And, Bradley Mullen, who's a three-year Gonzaga player, and he's he's been really good. He's just a really funky lefty. So the uh, the bullpen's good. The pitching's good. I'm excited. What's up, Mario? Oh, no, just stretching. Oh, my bad. No, it's okay. Um, I mentioned in, in 21 how Oregon lost a lot of bats in the offseason. Oregon lost a lot of bats this offseason, too. Really the only um, consistent player from last year that's, that's starting again is Jacob Walsh and, and Bennett Thompson. Drew Smith, you know, was – really good at the end of last year but he hadn't really broken out so who are the names that you're excited to watch the rest of this year on the offensive end I think for me definitely is Ryan Cooney uh, I think I said this before but I was there when he hit his first ever home run and I think that's just so so such a special thing to do and you know he's been pretty consistent over over these last couple of games so I definitely feel like he could really be a good solid player for this team going forward especially being a freshman you know that could be like a nice piece for the future uh that's for me the name that really stands out the most yeah one that really stuck out to me so far this season is jeffrey Hurd transferring in he's got 28 at bats so far 14 hits he's slugging just under 900 so they've just completely found a guy that can fill up the stat sheet with him he's essentially been plug and play into the lineup starting all every single game so far and just tons of offensive production from wherever they've slotted him so i think that's been really good to see also, like you mentioned, you know, Drew Smith, good finish to last year, earned himself that everyday role. This season is going to be someone that they probably ask to do more and more in the lineup. And I think he's done a solid job so far at a spot high up in the lineup, just continuing to produce. This weekend really was – they knew there was going to be a lot of at-bats with four games in three days, especially when you consider that. They probably figured there would be a lot of garbage time too, knowing their opponent. So I think everybody in the lineup just did a good job of taking their at-bats well and just producing as much as they could. You know where Jeffrey Hurd's from? Tell me, tell me. This one I should know? No. Okay. It's from the 408. Okay, that's big. San Jose legend. It's big. Valley Christian High School legend. Wow. 
uh, went to Sac State. So I knew the Sac State. I yeah. wasn't sure if he was a local guy. Yeah, he is from San Jose. Um, yeah, he's he's been great. Really good interview too. Um, Justin Casella is another name I want to shout out. I'm, I love Ryan Cooney. I would have said him first because I think he's awesome. He's the only true freshman to have gotten consistent at bats this year, um, and I believe the only true freshman to get an at bat this year for Oregon. Uh, I think that that checks out. Mason Neville played last year at Arkansas, so yeah. Um, Justin Cassell is a guy. I'm, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'm a big believer in just experience trumping everything at the collegiate level. Um, we saw that with Oral Roberts last year. Like that was just right. an experienced offensive team that had seen four years of college pitching. And Cassell is kind of that same way. Started a couple years at Elon. Was really good there last year. Um, he had a a big breakout weekend for Oregon. Should we move to basketball? Yeah, I'm done. Anything else we want to talk about with baseball? I think we should go to basketball. Okay. Cool. Let's do it. How to both teams end their season on a high note. That is very open-ended, but it's been a tough season. It's been a really, really tough season for women's basketball, obviously, and men's basketball. While looking really good, I, I think there was argument that they could have been ranked at one point. Um, you know, it's not looking great right now. So how does Oregon end its season on a high note, both in the men's and women's game? Well, I think uh, the the first thing the men really have to do is just beat Oregon State. Like, beating a rival is always nice, especially now that the team is changing conferences. We don't know when or if these teams will play again. And it would certainly be nice, you know, on a psychological level to end the season with that win. But more specifically, I just think that they need to keep their heads down and just worry about the things they can control and not really think about what what's not in their control. I think this goes for both men, the men's team and the women's team because I think what I've seen lately is that they started to really worry about, you know, things that are happening outside of Eugene, outside of the team environment, and it's not really working. And we've seen especially recently that the teams have started to struggle with the basics of the game, and I think that's just because they have their head, you know, so worried about other stuff. So I think if they keep their heads down and focus they will get be able to get those basics down once again. Yeah, it's been a really interesting year for the men's team. I think, like you said, there was reason for positivity at various different points throughout the season. Maybe a few short-lived moments where we felt like there was an outside shot at the tournament. Some times when we were actually worrying about seeding for the Pac-12 tournament. And that's something that is still probably on a lot of people's minds here if you follow Oregon basketball. But in the scope of the country and really just overall history of Oregon basketball, it's hard to see this being one that stands out for either team. You know, the, the Kelly Graves quote you actually mentioned a little bit earlier about women's basketball seeming a little bit like more of an outlier with their struggles this year because the bar had been raised high. It's it's kind of seems to me a little hard to say that when the team has just won so rarely this season. It's not just that they're not performing up right. to, you know, a previous standard or the standard of a really tough Pac-12. They just can't win a game. So I think to end the season on a positive note, on the women's side, it's really just you don't want to have a 10, 11, 12 game losing streak heading into the offseason no matter what. So just wiping that away would... Yeah, it would probably feel pretty good. I mean, and I think, I really do think Oregon could have and, and maybe even should have beat both Washington schools. Like, they, they mm-hmm. played pretty well against Washington um, until falling down the stretch. But that's ba- that's been the, the theme for, for Oregon women's basketball this year is, like, it's not, it's a, they're an okay first half team. Like, it feels like they're in games for the most part after the first half. But Chance Gray playing 36 minutes every night. Grace Van Sluten playing 36 minutes every night. That takes a wear and tear when you see like Cameron Brink plays like 24 minutes a night for yeah. Stanford and 
when you're you know those add up over mm-hmm. over a stretch of a, a thirty game season. I mean, those players you mentioned too, along with Philly Che, kind of have a tendency to do their own thing a little bit too. Maybe part of the reason why these first halves feel a little better is because you know when the pressure's off a little bit and everyone kind of has more time to to feel out the game and feel out the opponent. You can afford to have Van Sluten have that many more opportunities. You can afford to have Gray, you know, not really pass, not not look up and down the floor as much as you might want her to. Che's going to end up getting the ball so much because she's really the only rebounding threat this team has. I just think as the game goes on, when you kind of have these three players moving in semi-different directions, just not enough depth, not enough shooting. Not, it's it's easy to get behind in games, but it's even harder to, to come back in them. We've seen just so many times, pretty much on repeat over and over and over again for this women's team. You know, they fall behind by five and then ten points, and it just feels like the game's completely over. I totally agree with what you have said. I feel like Part of the problem with this women's team is that we haven't seen them play a full 40 minutes. Like they, uh, it's been a minute. It's yeah, been a while. They usually play either a really good or better in the first half than in the second half. In some games, they do play better in the second half than the first half. But it would be just nice to see like a full, complete game. It definitely, uh, you know, I agree with you, Charles. That a big problem is that it doesn't feel like this is a team. It feels like there's five individual players in the basketball court. They're all wearing the same colors, but they're not really functioning as a team, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. Yeah, get this guy on the coaching staff. <laughs> well, uh, okay. <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say. That's just kind of like something that came through my mind. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense for sure. I can tell you ref basketball. Yes, I do. I ref basketball and soccer. Shout, shout, out. Out, shout out to LCSRA and LCBOA. L- yeah, LCSRA. Lane County Soccer Refs Association. Oh, wow, and Lane serious County business. Basketball Officials Association. Shout out to them. Shout out. Nice. Shout out to you, Mario. Mario, have you ever had to give out a red card? I have given yellow cards, but I have not given red cards or technicals yet. Nice. Um, you know, people think that refs really like to give out cards. I honestly don't. I'd mm-hmm. rather have a game where I don't really have to get in, get involved because if if I have to get involved then the players are not having fun. Yeah, that's and, honorable. You know, that's fundamentally not what the sport is about. I wow. want the players to have fun, so. That's deep. Know. That was beautiful. Just like a, a common Mario spit set. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um I kind of forgot what we were talking about. Like that <laughs> yeah, was we were talking about it brought a tear to my eye. Um uh, did we did we touch on men's basketball how they end their season? You said I a little bit about Oregon State, Charlie. How do you, how do you think men's basketball ends its season on a high note? Uh, I mean, I think there's an opportunity in the tournament to to play well. I still think there's more talent in this team than like I think we kind of have a tendency to group them together with the women's team. Very different outcomes on the season. Obviously, the men's team has a chance to be in the top half of the Pac-12, where women are gonna end the year dead last. Yeah, I think for me, just to end the year positively for the men's team, it's you know play as a team in these tournament games. Show that there is some future with this core that's there or some sort of, you know, something left with the system that's in place. And then hopefully take that and move it into next year and continue the, tr- the progression. Yeah, no, I agree. I think and, and they just signed a, a five star guard, Janai Williams, who I believe is class of 25. So have, has another year. Um, but, oh, I was talking about m- women's basketball. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you about men's basketball. Right. I do think there's still potential for the end of the season. Like. And we, we can touch on this a little bit. I think Oregon can still at least make it to the Pac-12 championship, if not win. Like, I, I really do think Oregon is still, in terms of pure talent, the second most talented team in the Pac-12 behind Arizona. Um, 
Colorado's kind of sucked. Utah's kind of sucked. You know, Wazoo's been better than expected because of Miles Rice, but they're not great. USC has sucked. Like, yeah, it's it's a, a weird, it's a bad Pac-12. It's I an think. odd Pac-12 yeah. for sure. I think there's so many. It's just kind of eating itself alive because I think now Oregon has a loss to Cal. UCLA lost to Cal at one point two. There's just so many different teams with wins over other Pac-12 opponents that it's like I, I feel like this is going to be a hard, a particularly hard Pac-12 tournament to predict. And maybe somewhere in there, there's room for Oregon to, to string a couple good games together. That that would probably be the the most realistic route for them heading into the offseason feeling good. I mean, obviously it'll depend on the seeding, but I definitely feel like an Oregon Arizona final it w- is in the cards and is a possibility unless we get them in the semifinals or something. Hopefully not. Mm-hmm. But if that is the case, then I definitely feel like Oregon has a chance. Arizona is far and away the the, the better team in the Pac-12 right now. But when the postseason is on the line in the Pac-12 championship, you know anything could happen. Like th- I think that these players are excited and they want to be there. So I definitely feel positive. Uh, but like I said, for me, the most important thing is just beating Oregon State. Yeah, I I think that's the the biggest one. Um, I I, I really do think Oregon men's basketball is going to make it pretty far in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, I hope they don't make me eat my words, but they I mean they still have a good chunk of the regular season to go. You know, it's not not a ton, but it's still it's still games. It's they still matter. Like Oregon State, they need to win tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If they lose. The last time they ever played Oregon State at home, it's not good. Arizona, I, I, you can lose that game. Like I, it's excusable. Do they want to? No, but can you? Yes. It's it's one of the best teams in the country. Colorado at home, Utah at home. You need to beat. Um, and I think that's the only way Oregon can kind of end its its regular season on a high note. Uh, women's basketball, I do think. I did think could win a game in the tournament. I don't know if I feel that anymore. I just think with the the way they're going to be seated, it's going to be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Especially with just how stacked that conference has right. been. You know, really, w- it's just hard to keep looking at the the L eleven next to the women's team's name and just find a way for them to find a win somewhere in there. You know, it's going to come down to these last couple games and then tournament play. It's a possibility, but it's not really something I would say I'm personally counting on. I mean, it, it's tough. The last win they got was during the ice storm. Yep. Remember the ice storm? Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. No, I was I was yeah. at that game. It was I a fanless game, I believe, that, that I, they I'd they really won. wish we could win at least one more game before, uh, you know, the end of the season. But like, like, like we're all saying, I don't know if that's possible. I remain optimistic, but, you know. Cause for optimism, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, that's going to do it for our Quacks Pack tonight. Really good show. We talked some Oregon softball, some Oregon baseball, Oregon basketball. We had Carson Mercier on, and we're going to be-, be back at it tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on Quacks Pack. We'll see you tomorrow night. It'll be Griffin Bowes hosting, Jason Hardricht, Max Regal. I'll be here, maybe. We'll see. See you tomorrow night. Thanks for listening to Quacks Pack.